There's so much confusion about positive thinking and motivation that I'd like to kind of share with you some ideas about what the real positive thinking is, what motivation is, what it will do, and what it won't do. Several years ago, I was on one of the national news programs. It was an absolutely magnificent experience. Man, I wish they had sold that sucker again. I sold a bunch of stuff. But the, the old boy that did the interview was really something else. He was so skeptical he had demanded a bacteria count on the milk of human kindness. I honestly believe that he believes, uh, really, he's so cynical that he still thinks somebody pushed Humpty Dumpty. I mean, you have seen the kind. Uh, his opening uh, statement to me, I mean, the first cracker out of the barrel after he had turned on the cameras, you know, he said, Zig, you go all over the country talking about positive thinking, making money, going to the top. He said, you're so positive, you think you could whip Mohammed Ali? Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, folks, that's dumb, even though I fought in the ring two years. And it's a matter of record, just for your information, that the worst I ever finished was second. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the only reason I quit was because of my hands. The referee kept stepping on them. <laughs> no, I don't think I could whip Mohammed Ali. For that matter, I don't even think I could take your appendix out, sir. And have you live? But I tell you what, I'll bet you. I'll bet if you and I were on a desert island a thousand miles from everybody else, and all of a sudden you said, Oh, my side hurts. And I'd say, Let me see. Put my hand on your side, it's burning up with fever. I'd say, Man, you got appendicitis, but that's no big deal. I've been watching a lot of television recently, seen no less than a dozen doctor shows in the last month alone, and they were all specializing in appendectomies. I watched them real good. It is not a difficult operation. As a matter of fact, I brought me some good sharp knives with me, got some good powerful germ-killing medicines. And you know me, I'm so optimistic I'd go after Moby Dick in a rowboat and take the tartar sauce with me. Man, I believe, I believe we're going to be able to get them out of there. Now, I believe that you would prefer that I took that approach instead of looking at you and saying, man, you're going to die. <laughs> and the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, that the first approach would give him an infinitely better chance of surviving than would the second one. But let me lay it on the line because this is so important. I get upset with these highly motivated, very sincere, completely in their own mind, honest individuals who will stand up and tell somebody else, man, with positive thinking, you can just do anything. And ladies and gentlemen, that simply is not so. How many of you recognize the name Magic Johnson? Can I see your hands? Okay. Magic Johnson is a highly motivated, very enthusiastic, extraordinarily skillful basketball player. He is six feet, nine inches, 245 pounds of highly skilled athlete. He's a positive thinker. He's highly motivated. He's really turned on. But I'm here to tell you that despite all of his success as a basketball player, I'm completely 
convinced uh, that Magic Johnson would be a total and complete failure as a jockey. How many of you would agree with that assessment? All right. Refrigerator Perry just flat couldn't cut it in ballet. I mean, he just could not. Now, I'm a positive thinker. But if you were facing major surgery, I would not recommend me to perform the operation. No, I want to make it absolutely clear that positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. Uh, can you buy that idea? Would you agree that positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it will let you do everything better than negative thinking will? And my friend, that is good enough. Let me tell you what positive thinking will do. Positive thinking will permit you to use the qualities which you have. And when you use the qualities which you have, my friend, you can get the things in life that you really want. Motivation. What is motivation anyhow? Many times the media asks me the question. They say to me, Zig, uh, you go around and you're going to be talking to these people. You got this four-hour seminar. And in this seminar, you're going to keep them all of that time. Let me ask you, are you going to get them excited? And I say, well, those folks are already excited, okay? You're going to get them excited uh, even more so. And I said, yeah, they sure hope so. They bought a ticket and they want it to be a good investment. Okay, where where will they be a month from now, a year from now? You know what they're really asking me? They are asking me, is motivation permanent? And the answer, ladies and gentlemen, emphatically not. Motivation is not permanent. But then neither is bathing, is it? But does that mean I'm opposed to bathing? Or does that mean I want to do it every day? I want to do it every day. And motivation is in exactly the same category. You need it every day of your life. Why? Because there's a lot of stinking thinking going around. And that's what messes your mind up. I want to show you what I believe motivation is. If you will look very carefully, you can see this grid. And you will notice, ladies and gentlemen, that it has a simple question. How many squares do you see? The average person immediately said, well, I see 16 uh, squares there. And there are 16, but if you will look a little more carefully you will see that the entire figure is a square, so that makes it 17. And then right in the very center, there's another square that makes it 18. But notice this, right here is another square that makes it 19. Here's another one that makes it 20. Here's another one that makes it 21. And here's another one that makes it 22. But follow me now, because right here is another square that makes it 23. Here is another one that's 24. Here is another one that's 25. And here is another one that brings it to 26. 
But watch this. Come across three, and down three, and across three, and up, and there's one that makes it 27. Here's yet another one that's 28. Here is another one that's 29. And ladies and gentlemen, there is another one. That means there literally are 30 squares there. Now, I want to ask you a question. And I'm not trying to trick you with this, but I do tell folks I'm kind of like a cross-eyed discus thrower. I, I don't set any records, but man, I keep the crowd alert, okay? Here's the question. How many squares did I add after I drew the original figure? Anybody? Fourteen, okay? Let me ask it in a different way. How many squares, Portland and Kansas City, did I add after I drew the original figure? None did I. Absolutely none. All I did was say, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one, here's one. I just identified what is there. What is motivation? To motivate is to draw out or to pull out. People ask me, Ziegler, I'm going to listen to you through that seminar. What am I going to get out of it? And I have to be honest and say, not much. But let me tell you, friend, this seminar is going to get a lot out of you. You see, what we've done thus far is we have identified the qualities which you have inside of you. And the purpose now in helping you recognize those qualities and begin to develop those qualities, that's when things begin to happen. Motivation. So many people think that people who are motivated are always jumping up and down and whooping and shouting and hollering. A few years ago, I was speaking in Washington, D.C., I spoke to the National Council of Parents for Drug-Free Youth. It was a wonderful organization. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Reagan was there. Uh, uh, Brooke Shields was there. She had done a commercial. I was the wind-up speaker that evening, and the audience was most appreciative and very responsive. They, they laughed at all of my jokes. Uh, which is a sign of intelligence. Uh, they said nice things about me, you know. And uh, so I went to bed, had a good night's sleep. Next morning, I was down in the restaurant awaiting my turn to be seated. Now, there were about a dozen people behind me, and the host had gone out to seat the couple in front of me. And so I was just standing there awaiting my turn. Now, I don't know how you stand when you stand, but when I stand, uh, I just stand. For example, I do not know how to stand motivated. So I just stand in there, and these three ladies walked in who had been there the evening before. And when they were across the restaurant, they spotted me, and in whispers that you could only hear about 100, 150, 200 yards, one of them said, there's our speaker from last night. Second one said, yes, and he is obviously a night person Third one said, he must be, said, he sure don't look motivated to me. Now, folks like to say, I don't know how you stand when you stand, but when I stand, uh, I just stand. Uh, I don't know how to stand motivated. I don't know whether they expected me to be standing there looking out at everybody and the rest of you know, grinning from here to here, maybe waving at them at the same time and jumping up and down while I'm doing it. That's motivation. That's insanity. That's what it is. Some of the most motivated people on the face of this earth are quiet people. 
They're not tub thumpers like we'd say down home, but when you get around them, you can feel the intensity of their excitement in what they are doing. That's what I'm talking about. Now, what we need to do is to have some motivation that really works. I'm confident that everybody here has noticed that when I do my talking, I do a lot of walking. And when I'm doing a lot of walking, I'm also doing an awful lot of looking. And I've been amazed at the youthfulness of this crowd here in Salt Lake City. Bunch of kids really is what we've got gathered together here today. I don't see anybody even old enough to know what I'm about to tell you. So I just have to tell you. When you get to be a certain age, there are physical and chemical changes which take place in the human body. And as you know, there's an awful lot of pollution out in the air. And when the pollution in the air gets together with the physical and chemical changes in the body, what happens is it destroys the strength of the lenses in your glasses. Maybe some of you are younger than I thought you were, older than I thought you were. Well, that happened to me. So I went down to see my good buddy, Bob Bud Barker, the friendly optometrist, and Bob examined me for my new glasses. He wrote the prescription. He said, Zig, see me next Tuesday. Well, the following Tuesday, I walked in to see my buddy Bob. He put these uh, new bifocals on me, you know, and uh, he did a couple of adjustments. said, well, how do they feel? I said, they feel great. He said, they look good too. You're on your way. Well, I headed for the front door, and uh, as I stepped out the front door, I did a couple of adjustments, you know, as we always do. And uh, my car is parked about 25 feet away, and I headed for my car. Now, you talking about a high-stepping dude, old Sega's really picking him up and putting it down. Now, obviously, I did not realize that until I drew abreast of the car, and there my right leg was up about four feet, you know, and I saw the reflection in the window. And you know how you do when you've done something not overly bright? You think everybody in town not doing a thing in the world, but looking at you. So I looked around right quick to see if I'd been caught in the act. Nobody was paying me the least bit of attention, but realizing how totally ridiculous I must have looked. I couldn't help it. I just hollered out loud. I got so tickled. And then I got excited. Because though I've been doing this for many, many years, that day for the first time, I clearly understood the role that I play in America today. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the reality is I'm an optometrist. And what I do is I go all over this land fitting people with new glasses. And what I've done for you today, whether you're in Salt Lake or Portland or Kansas City, what I have done for you today is brought you a brand new pair of glasses. I've got to tell you something about these glasses. First of all, they will fit you perfectly. Second, they are absolutely not rose-colored. I will repeat what I've said a number of times, and that simply is that life is tough. But when you're tough on yourself, life can be enormously rewarding to you. But you got to be before you can do and you got to do before you can have. Life demands first and then it rewards you lavishly. 
These glasses, the second thing I'll tell you about them, they won't improve your sight one iota. If you've got good sight now, you'll have good sight afterwards. If you don't have good sight now, you'll have no improvement in your sight. But let me tell you the most important things these glasses will do. They will dramatically improve your vision. Helen Keller was asked the question, what would be worse than being blind? Without any hesitation, Helen Keller said it would be infinitely worse to have eyes but no vision than the other way around. The prophet of old said, my people perish for lack of a vision. What these glasses will do is they will permit you to see things right in front of you that you have been overlooking all of your life. Forbes magazine did a study or reported on a study. And in this, they revealed uh, that entrepreneurs invariably, in an incredibly high percentage of the cases, make their money after they have moved to a new location. Now, wait a minute. Don't start packing your bag yet. What they discovered was this. Many of those people made their money when they moved from Salt Lake City to Portland. But others made their money when they moved from Portland to Salt Lake City. Some made their money when they moved from Kansas City to Chicago, but others made their money when they moved from Chicago to Kansas City. What they discovered was very simple. The location really is not the point. Opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, is where you are. Calvin Hunt, good friend of mine down in Victoria, Texas. Calvin is in the life insurance business. In 1982, you know, in the insurance industry, they had a recession. As most of you know, the media has accurately predicted 28 of the last two recessions. Well, Calvin Hunt said to me, Zig, in the insurance business today, when, some, when we have a recession, our business drops about uh, 10%. I mean, it goes down that much. But 50% of all of the agency that quit are quit trying. Now he said, Zig, if you got 90% as much business and 50% as much competition, then doesn't it figure that your business ought to at least double and I said, Calvin, that's the way I see it. He said, that's the way I see it too. That's exactly what happened. Now, the side note is this. He sells insurance contracts where the premiums are $100,000, $300,000 a year. The point I'm trying to make is the business is right here in front of us. Opportunity is right where you are, ladies and gentlemen. It is not in some faraway place with those strange sounding names. It is right here. And most people simply overlook it. Let me give you a very simple example of what I'm talking about. If you wear a wristwatch... Whether you are in uh, Portland or Salt Lake or Kansas City or wherever you are, if you wear a wristwatch, would you just hold up your hands, please? Now, do not look at your watch. Don't look at it. But did you know that the average American looks at his wristwatch 300 times a day? 
Oh, I didn't believe it either. They told me that. I said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard a grown man say. Why? If you looked at your wristwatch 300 times a day, why all you'd be doing is look at, man, get out. You'd never have time to do any work. And then one day I broke the band on my watch. The next two days, that watch was in my pocket. And for the next two days, I bet you I looked at that sucker for that. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? Ever had that experience? You bet you. You will look at it 300 times a day. Now, sometimes in your spare time, when you've got nothing else to do, I want you uh, to just kind of figure up what 300 times a day for a year is. It will blow your mind the thousands of times you looked at your watch, but I bet you still don't know what's there. I'm going to ask you three questions. Now, don't, uh, don't try to sneak a peek at your watch now. One more time is not going to hurt. Not going to help you a bit. If thousands won't do it, one more is not going to help. I want to ask you three questions about your watch. Do not answer them out loud. And please don't turn to your next door neighbor and tell them what the answer is. You're going to get your chance in, a, uh, in just a second. Question number one, does your wristwatch have regular numerals or Roman numerals? How many of you just missed the first one? Can I see your hands? Come on now, be honest with me. All right. Question number two. Does it have numerals at all? Are they slashes or dots or blanks or emblems or a combination of all of them? Now, question number three is the tough one. And the reason it is so tough is simply because uh, it has four parts. And for the benefit of our educators, they are not multiple choice. First part of the question, what's at the 12 o'clock slot? Think it through. What's at the 3 o'clock slot? What's at the 6 o'clock slot? And what's at the 9 o'clock slot? Now that you've thought those answers through, I want you to carefully, as a matter of fact, maybe for the first time since you have owned your watch, I want you to very carefully... Look at your watch. Now, I can't always uh, interpret murmurs and giggles and all those kind of good things. And I certainly couldn't hear it from Portland and Salt Lake City. I mean, from uh, Portland and uh, Kansas City. But for those of you who are, who are right here, how many of you missed at least one of the questions? Can I see your hand? Boy, about everybody's got their hand up. Now, how many of you remember just a few seconds ago when I said, now I want you to carefully, as a matter of fact, maybe for the first time since you've owned your watch, I want you to very carefully look at your watch. How many of you remember me saying that a few seconds ago? Okay, what time is it? <laughs> Truth is, ladies and gentlemen, we have eyes to see but see not. We have ears to hear, but hear not. We have hands to feel, and we feel not. We've got everything there in front of us, opportunity galore, and if we cannot even identify what's on our watch, doesn't it make sense that we need to open our eyes, adjust these magnificent new glasses you're being fitted with, and look around you and see what is there? Yes, this pair of glasses will let you see opportunity, but they do a whole lot more than that. 
this pair of glasses, ladies and gentlemen, will give you the proper look at other people. And the reason that is so tremendously important is because we have more happiness or more misery because of relationships than any other single factor. Good relationships bring happiness. Poor relationships bring incredible misery. And the way you look at people is so important because you treat people like you see them. And the way you treat them determines what the relationship is going to be. This pair of glasses will let you see people properly. Andrew Carnegie was the first great industrialist that our society produced. At one time, he had, over, he had 43 millionaires working for him. This was over a hundred years ago. Now, a hundred years ago, a millionaire was somebody with money. I mean, they were flat rich. A reporter heard of this phenomenal fact. He went to Mr. Carnegie and he said, Mr. Carnegie, how on earth did you manage to hire 43 millionaires? And Andrew Carnegie said, well, when I hired them, none of them were millionaires. Then the obvious question comes forth, and that question is, what on earth did you do to develop them to the degree that they became so valuable to you that you were able to pay them enough money that they became millionaires? Andrew Carnegie taught us one of the most tremendous lessons that you will ever hear when he taught us this. He said, you develop people in precisely the same way you mine gold. When you go in a gold mine to mine the gold, you will move tons of dirt to find an ounce of gold. But you don't go in there looking for the dirt. You go in there looking for the gold. What a tremendous lesson there is in that. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I'm convinced that you were born to win. But not to be the winner you were born to be, you got to plan to win, you got to prepare to win, and you got to expect to win. And what this pair of glasses will do, it will be to help you become the winner you were born to be and work with and develop others and help them to become winners as well.